church to say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Would you join me? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. One more time. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And I just can't imagine what it must have been like to see Jesus riding on that donkey with people just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means uh, come and save us, we beseech thee. And the word has taken on a different meaning by Jesus' time. And it became, in Jesus' days, when they were shouting it, like hooray, hurrah. Uh, I didn't know this, but do you know where the word goodbye originally came from? Goodbye comes from the original Greek, uh, not Greek, old English phrase, God be with E. So people thought that was too long, so they said, God be with E, and then goodbye. They just said goodbye. So that's where goodbye comes from, God be with E. And Hosanna kind of similarly evolved from save us to hooray. So the crowd was recognizing that Jesus was someone special, that he was, who is this, the Jerusalem People in the city said, who is this? And the crowd that followed Jesus said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. And so when the, Jesus rode in into Jerusalem on a donkey with the crowd celebrating, they must have been really excited. Could this be the one who will deliver us from the bondage of Rome? And so God's plan is unfolding in this holy week. And we wanted to kind of look at this text in, in, a, in a fresh eyes, you know, every Easter that comes as I become a pastor now in my 20-some years, there's only so many Easter sermons you could give that's different, right? So pastors, I, when they're 60, I'm wondering how many Easter sermons they wrote. But it's so amazing, the Word of God. When you look at Palm Sunday and Easter, you do see new things. And there are some things that I want to share with you today. So as this week unfolds, the first thing that we see Jesus transitions from his ministry from don't tell anyone about me to I am here. So Palm Sunday is his pivot from Jesus saying to people, don't tell anyone what you saw of me to everybody, time has come, I am here. So he goes from tell no one to a blind man, he says in Matthew 9, 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them strangely, what? See that no one knows about it. So as Jesus started his miracles and ministry, he didn't want people to start talking about it. If they had Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, he would have said, shh, don't, please don't put me on. To a leper in Mark, 14, Mark 1, Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. He commands, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, here it is again, and sent him away at once and said to him, can you read that part together? It's not interesting. And then the third time, there's many other times, but in Mark 7, a deaf man. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And then it says, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. So Jesus goes from tell no one, it's not time yet, to 
Palm Sunday, here I am. And you can't make a grander entrance than this. Um, if you wanted to play low-key, you don't come, especially riding on a donkey, into Jerusalem because there's so much historical connotation. How many of you remember the son of King David? His name was Solomon. David had a lot of sons, but his successor was Solomon. David had another son named Adonijah. And Adonijah wanted to become the king on his own power, even though David said Solomon will be king. So Adonijah grabbed his own priestly and ruler, rulers and some leaders and said, coronate me secretly, I'll be the next king. Well, Bathsheba heard about this, the mother of Solomon, goes to David and says, are you going to let this happen? And David said, no, Solomon is the one that God appointed. So guess what David does? Put Solomon on my donkey and stroll him into town and coronate him before the people that he is the king. So this image of riding in on a donkey is specific to the people of Israel, tied to their history and heritage, that God's elect, that the God's chosen one will come on a donkey. And so Jesus intentionally says, go get a donkey and you'll find it there, a colt, and bring them to me. And it's always funny to hear when they ask, what are you doing? Just tell them the Lord needs it. And so some commentaries say, Jesus made prearranged plans. Some others say just Jesus was God and he moved their hearts to lead them their donkey. Jesus intentionally gets a donkey, arrives into Jerusalem riding in this with people waving these palm branches, laying down their cloaks. And he comes with this statement, here I am, here I am. And so this begins this journey no one knew this, but within five days, he would be betrayed, beaten, crucified, and killed. What does he do as soon as he gets to Jerusalem? Did you read that following passage, if you have your Bible? Right after he goes in, he goes straight to the temple, and the first thing Jesus does as his welcome king to the crowd, he chases out the money changers' table, overturns the tables, and he calls out the religious leaders. This is a warning to us. He doesn't call out the sinners. He calls out the religious leaders. You have been counterfeit. God has given you message after message. You're playing church. You're playing the temple. You're playing the Jewish rites, but you have forgotten God. And he says this in Matthew 21. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, leaders, Israel, and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone, the cornerstone, which is Jesus, will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So a commentator writes this. Jesus will now be the dividing line between those who are the people of God and those who are not. All who would belong to God must come through Jesus, the cornerstone. Again, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and what does he say? Here am I. And that's kind of cringy and creepy because 2,000 years later, we know where he's going in. and We know why he's saying, here I am. 
I have come. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I will be the last and the final sacrifice for the sins of man. And so, here I am. And so we see palm branches, and as we go on with this journey, I, I ask this question. Did you ask this question? I, I've always wondered, what's up with the palm branches? So I was thinking, like, just, just silly-wise, you know, if all of you had palm branches and you were waving it, it would look pretty cool. It would look like fireworks. It would look kind of like celebratory. You see someone riding in, they're waving this. It sounds like, uh, I learned this in CODA, the Academy Awards, when they won for Best Picture. The way that uh, you clap for deaf people, the sign language is this. So can you all do this? So this is how the sign language for clapping is. Look around, just keep going, look around. We, we could do some cardiovascular work today. And you could see the celebration even in the silence. And I'm wondering, was it because of that? Is that why they wave the palm branches? And so where did this come from? And so I think one reason why Israel uses the palm branch as celebration is actually in the Bible from Leviticus. And this kind of took me back. Um, you may have heard of Feast of the Tabernacle or Feast of Booths, and it's in Leviticus 23. And God specifically does something really neat. He tells Israel, I want you to have a seven-day celebration to remember the Feast of Booths, the Booths. What is this? So he says, cut branches, and I want you to gather, and I want you to remember that I delivered you, and that you were freed from Egypt, and in your journey, where did you live? In tents, booths, tabernacle, or they call it suckets, S-U-K-K-O-T-S. And how do you make these little tent coverings? You cover it sometimes with palm branches. And so these palm branches were reminders to them that we lived in huts, booths, covered with palm branches because God delivered us from Egypt. And so this is how it reads in Leviticus 30, uh, 23. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So this waving was a sign that we're celebrating who? The Lord God who has redeemed us, saved us. It wasn't just a visual display. It was to say, Hosanna, God, you have saved us. Hallelujah. And so to see this happen on Palm Sunday as Jesus walks in Jerusalem is more than this statement to say that he is the king. The deeper meaning is we are celebrating the God who saves us, redeems us, not from Rome, but from death, from sin. And so a reminder of salvation from God every time we see palm leaves and I am so glad I live in Southern California because I can't get sick of palm trees. And all my friends in New Jersey, that's the one thing they say, oh, I love your palm trees. But how cool is it? Whenever you go out today and you see a palm tree and you see that leaf waving, in the Bible, God commands us to cut it and wave it when you see it to say he is the one who redeemed us and delivered us. And so 
Jesus, all of this is converging on Palm Sunday. He's walking in. He's coming on a donkey. He's fulfilling Zechariah chapter 4. Everything is coming together, and people's minds are blown because they're thinking this is going to be the next decade or generation of deliverance. No one in their mind knew that the shouts of Hosanna will turn to what in five days? Crucify him. And so I want to kind of wind this down and have a few takeaways. The first takeaway is actually kind of silly. It's like a variation from a children's message, but it's got a deeper element to it. When you think about the donkey, what was a donkey's purpose, and was a donkey important at all before Jesus? Not at all. So my tax preparer, he's a, he's a pastor, former pastor, he shared this with me, and I said, I'm going to steal this from you. He said, there was a story of a donkey, and the donkey was meaningless. It was just kind of had no purpose. It was just a donkey. But one day, some people came and said, can we borrow your donkey? And the donkey didn't understand why anybody would want him other than his master. And so the donkey went with these two men. And then there, they placed cloaks on him. And he's like, oh, that feels nice. And they placed Jesus on him. And suddenly, this no-name donkey walks into Jerusalem, and everyone is shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches. He's the center of the parade. And the cute takeaway is this. When we allow Jesus to touch us, he transforms us. He renews us. We have a purpose for living. So if he does that to a donkey, how much more does God do that to you and me, his people made in the image of God. So that's a cute little element for the children, that we have to let Jesus touch us. We have to let Jesus come into our lives. And when Jesus gets a hold of us, we are no longer just ordinary, that God calls us extraordinary. Well, the next mess, the implication is this. Palm Sunday indicates something that kind of really makes my heart rejoice in God. And we will have this confirmation in a few minutes, and it's connected together. Palm Sunday indicates this, that it is only the grace of God that we are saved, that we are able to see and believe Jesus. It is only the grace of God, if you believe in Jesus, that allows you to believe him. Think of it this way. There was a crowd. How many people were waving the branches and celebrating Jesus? Almost all of them, yes? We could say that, at least more than majority. How many of them were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest? Almost all of them. How many of them would give their lives for him till the very end? Not one. By the fifth day, no one would say, I will stand with this king. They all fled. Even his own disciples fled. And then in verse 10, 11 in today's text, we get this question from the Jerusalem city. People are looking at this, and they're going, who is this? And then the crowd that's walking in with Jesus says, this, he is a prophet. The crowd celebrated Jesus, but they could not see beyond the fact that he was a prophet. They could not see he was the son of God. And in the same way today, many of us were fans of Jesus, we, we say, yeah, Jesus, you rock. Jesus, you are the best. I grew up with Sunday school, and I remember God. He is awesome. He touched my heart. But how many would give their lives for God, for Christ today? 
So as someone wrote, we did a book study years ago. Do you remember? There are a lot of fans, but there are not many followers. There are a lot who will celebrate Jesus and what he does for us, but there will not be many who will say, I will give my life for you. And so what's the difference? I don't think, I, I used to think this. I thought it was like commitment. I got to have deeper commitment. Or I need to go to church harder. I need to read the Bible. I need to pray and I need to maybe go to a seminary. But I don't think it's any of that. I think it's simply, it's the grace of God that has to open our eyes to allow us to see that he is everything. So consider this. Um, this stat I thought in the 80s and 90s would change, but it's getting worse. Did you know that up to 90% of young people who went to church, when they go to college, will leave the church community? 90%. Did you know that the millennials, raise your hand, millennials, and keep it up, and Gen Z, raise your hand, Gen Z, that's all the youth group kids and children, raise your hand. This generation, these two generations have the lowest amount of people who believe in God in the history of America. I think the great generation has about 60 to 70. The boomers have about 50 to 60. Gen X is about 50. The, boom, the millennials and Gen Z are about 30 to 40%. What happened? Well, I think they had parents and families and churches that said, Hooray! Blessed be the name of the Lord! But they did not have people who were followers of Christ. Or, or put simply in this point, we have a lot of religious people, but we haven't experienced the grace of God to deliver us, to save us, to say, Jesus, I see what you've done. Only by grace can we truly see and believe Jesus is Savior. You know, um, we're going to have Ingrid, Arredondo, John Park, and Ethan Coe come up here in a moment. And I've done confirmation class for a few years. Um, I've been, I did youth ministry since 2000 and 1999. And then I see this, and I guess it's partly because it's my son. And every Christian dad, um, I think, in my humble opinion, should have one goal. It's not for their kids to be happy. Well, you could, you could make them happy worldly ways. It's not, it's not just for them to be healthy although that's great, because, but we're all going to die physically. <laughs> so the one, one prayer that I have for my kids, Kathy and I always shared, was that, God, would you please claim them, hold them, and let them love and trust you more than anyone else, including even me. And so how does that happen? You know that going to church every Sunday is good, but does that guarantee it? And the people said, you could send them to VBSs. They could give their lives to Christ at retreats, revivals over and over and over again. I gave my life for the 50th time. Does that guarantee it? No. What is it? It's only the grace of God to grab a hold of them. You could be the perfect parent and have a kid who will never believe. He'll just be a crowd. You could be the worst parent and the kid is just amazed and absorbed and walks with Christ. How do you explain that? It's not a formula. It's the grace of God. And so when we see kids growing up in church, or maybe they came to know Christ later,
but you see them giving their life to Christ and saying, I trust and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What is that? Can you say this word with me? Miracle. It's really a miracle. I said to the kids at the session meeting, you can't buy this. You, you can't purchase this. It's been already purchased by Christ. I can't work it. I could pray for you, but it ultimately has to be the grace of God. And so to see our church baptized or confirm kids who've been baptized, we're seeing the miracle of God. And this is why God has placed church in the world for his glory and fame and his gospel to be spread. And the church said, amen. This is why we're here. So it's not about the music. It's not about the potlucks. It's not about the friendships. And those are all good. But the purpose we have by the end of our lives is, God, may I run this race with faithfulness to please you. And at the end, would you say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. So I want to read to you our book of order, which puts a lot of people to sleep. But this is what it says in W3.0402, which you can reference later. Both believers and their children are included in God's covenant love. The baptism of believers witnesses to the truth that God's gift of grace calls for our grateful response. So Presbyterian Church, why do you baptize children? They don't know God. They don't, they're not old enough yet. How can you? You guys are weird. We believe in believers' baptism. This is why. Let me read this part for you. The baptism of our young children witnesses to the truth that what? God claims people in love even before they are able to respond in faith. Friends, if you're a Christian, on the lower level, you might have made a decision for Christ, yes? But you know, in the big picture, God has given you grace to allow you to come and make that decision. This is what we hold to. This is why it's grace. This is why we say, who am I that you would open my eyes that I could see the beauty of Christ and go after him? And so these two forms of witnesses are one of the same sacrament. And so in the W4.02, what we're doing today is, is actually this. Let me read for you what we're doing in just a moment. When those who have been baptized as children are ready to make a public profession of faith and accept the responsibility of life in the church, sometimes called confirmation. This is why we call it confirmation class. The session shall provide an opportunity for them to do so. They are to be instructed in the faith, examined by the session, received as active members, and presented to the congregation in public worship. We're part of this right now. At this time, they re reaffirm the vows of baptism by renouncing evil and affirming their reliance on God's grace. Let me read that again. At this time, they reaffirm the vows of baptism by renouncing evil and affirming their reliance on God's grace professing their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and declaring their intent to participate actively and responsibly in the worship, life, governance, and mission of the church. On such occasions, it is fitting for all worshipers to reaffirm the baptismal covenant. You know what this is saying? This is Palm Sunday. Jesus could come in. We could hear about Jesus. We could see Jesus. But there has to be something that God does that we invite him into to get a hold of our young people and, frankly, our old people to open our eyes to say, 
God, your grace, your, your reality, your truthfulness is precious. You have saved and redeemed me. I didn't choose you. You chose me. And this humbles us. This makes us realize we are sinners truly saved, not by works, but by his good deeds. And so, just as a little addendum to this, I think this is why the church needs to be missional. This is why the church needs to be spreading seeds of the gospel. It's not how eloquent you are. It's not how, how charming you are. It's that you point to, you may be the vessel that God uses to use his grace to bring all people to himself. And so this is what we celebrate. And so as we wrap this up on this Palm Sunday, as we approach this cross and the resurrection of Christ, we have this Palm Sunday where we will hear God's work in these three young people's lives. And so in a moment, I'm going to step away right here, and I'm going to call one by one, and they are going to read their statement of faith. And they're nervous, so no matter what happens, smile at them and say, keep going. Amen. And do this, yeah, and celebrate them. And then we will see the miracle of God, that what he has done in these children. So at first, I'd like to invite Mr. John Park. He will come up and share. Um, my statement of faith is, I believe in God the Father. He made heaven and earth and everything on it. He created man, but man had sin. Sin separated man from God. So God sent down his one and only son to Jesus to die on the cross for me. He descended into hell for three days. He rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He is now sitting beside God the Father Almighty on his right side, and there he will judge. This is a gospel of which I believe in, the story of how God sent his son to die for my sins. I went to church my entire life, but up until two to three years ago, it was just about the fun I had there. Church was only a place to have fun. I knew who God was and what he did, but I didn't truly understand who he was and what he had done. He made a sacrifice to save me from sin. Even though people don't know him, he still loves us after all we've done. But within the last two years, I've grown a lot because of the people helping me and the people around me. I never asked for his grace and mercy, yet he has given me everything. Everything I have is everything I need. But I would still let, let all of it go away just so I can have all of God. I believe I was born into the world with sin. I believe humanity can only be truly saved through the blood of Jesus. I believe in the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am worthless without God. I have no value if it wasn't for Jesus. My God never fails. Unlike any other religion, none of them can be compared to the love of Jesus Christ. I believe God loves me and loves all my neighbors so deeply, so much he gave his one and only son. God is my savior, my redeemer. He is the only one for me. Jesus is the one I go to, no one else. Jesus really is worth it all. I was lost, but Jesus was the one who found me. He's the one who cared for me. Thank you.
And Ingrid Arredondo, welcome you. I didn't fully appreciate what God had done for me before I met Christ. It wasn't until I was older and I started going to youth that I truly understood what they were teaching. I finally understood everything that God has done for me as well as how I'm supposed to live my life. I believe that God came to earth um, to teach, cure, correct, forgive, and die for us. God is the creator and the almighty Lord is Jesus Christ. As a result for my sin, I acknowledge that I deserve God's judgment and anger. Even though all of the sin I have done, he paid the cost for my sin, and I know that he loves me. I'm grateful that I get to know God because he loved me so much that he took away my suffering, and Jesus paid the price so that I wouldn't have to. I believe that God sent his only son to be crucified for our sins, that he descended into hell, and the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven. I believe the church's mission is to clear the way for the final establishment of God's kingdom on earth. Its mission is to improve society in order for the world to be a better place and for us to live as God intended. What walking with Christ means to me is remaining faithful to him. Even when I don't see God working in the way I want, I must trust that he knows my life and has a purpose for me. All I have to do is pray and trust in him because he knows what is best for me. I know I'll never know everything there is to know about God, but I know I can continue to develop my faith as time passes. I believe that God's word is the Bible, that it is without error, and that it does not misrepresent the facts. It is completely reliable and the words it teaches us. The Bible tells us a story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. I believe the Holy Spirit is a third person in the Holy Trinity, which includes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps me understand the concept of God's pre constant presence in the world. And Ethan Cole. God the Father Almighty is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we may be with him. By his grace, he gave us the Holy Spirit, which is another form of God and guides us to live in his footsteps. I believe God entirely exists in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The true greatness of God cannot be described by words. Going through this class, I learned so much about the complexity of God, but still cannot fathom the true power and love he holds for me. Christ died on the cross just to wash our sins so that we can be closer to him. He was tortured, sent to hell for three days, and experienced being fully human while also being fully God at the same time. He did this he did this so that he did this so that by being human, he could take the punishment of our sins, but still have the perfectness of Jesus. Instead of dying on the cross, he could have just gotten rid of a humanity, but because of his grace, he willingly died in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin. I've been a sinner since I was born. There is no way to not sin or be cleansed by any human power. The only way I can be saved is through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He gives us the Ten Commandments to not only give us a guide to how we should live, but to show us how much I need a Savior. 
The word of God was another gift from God to help us lead, to help lead me to a closer relationship and knowledge of him. Through Jesus' lovingness and grace and selflessness, I can be saved through Christ. He is the most important person in my life and will always love me. I believe he gave his own life to take the punishment for my sins. The Holy Spirit gives me a new life and transfers me into a follower of him so that my, I may live not by just his words, but also by his actions. Thank you. Ingrid Arredondo, John Park, and Ethan Coe are presented by the session for the reaffirming of the baptismal covenant into which they were baptized. They now desire to profess publicly their faith and to assume greater responsibility in the life of the church and God's mission in the world. Stay here. We rejoice that you now desire to declare